everyone, and welcome to the Girls Who Sell Spotlight podcast, where we talk about everything business-to-business sales. My name is Heidi Solomon Orlick, and I am the founder and CEO of Girls Who Sell. At Girls Who Sell, we are not only committed to closing the gender gap in B2B sales, but to building the largest pipeline of diverse, early-stage female sales talent. We are more than a company. We are a movement. On today's episode, I'm super excited to introduce you to one of the most supportive allies for women in sales that I know, David Massover. David is the founder of the Business to Business Accelerator, Accelerator David Massover Consulting, is host of the CEO Sales Insight and Driving B2B Sales Revenue Podcast, is an author, coach, sought-after speaker, and maybe, of course, most important to me, is a mentor for Girls Who Sell Academy. David, welcome to the spotlight, and thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Heidi. I'm happy to be here. So why don't we start with you just sharing a little bit about your background and your sales journey. Sure. So whenever anyone asks me that question, I always go back to the beginning and tell people I got my first sales job in 1991. And some of them actually grown because they think I'm going to take them through every single year. But actually, my start in sales was was really formative and it was really typical. Uh, My first sales job in 1991, I got absolutely zero sales training. (laughs) I mean, it was two days of bad product training and then there's your desk, there's your phone, there's the list of the person we just fired. Good luck. That's it. Pat on the back. <laughs> you know, you're done. And I remember so clearly staring at the phone, thinking to myself, I have no idea what to do. Luckily, I was stubborn. So I didn't walk out. I said to myself, I'm going to figure this thing out. And the way I tell the story now is that I just invented the sales process. Now, I later learned that someone else had already done that and probably <laughs> much better than I did. But this is, this is how I approach sales. I simply broke it down into little pieces. Who should I talk to? Where can I find them? What should I say to them? Et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, fast forward 30 years and through being a salesperson, being a sales manager, being a sales executive, and now being an, an author and a coach and a consultant, that same basic approach continues to serve me well. And I'm convinced that it, it's an approach that can serve anyone well if you just kind of stop and break down the pieces. And that's a, a horse that I've been riding for 30 years and sales has been a great career for me because of it. So there's a bit of origin story, fast forward to what am I doing today, but hopefully that answers the question. Yeah. And, oh, I love that. I love that. And I, I like thinking of sales as a process, right? Yeah. And, what, what, what do I do first? What do I do next? Right. And which is, which then, you know, I think when you chunk it up and bring it into and break it into smaller parts, um, you realize that it's actually a trainable skill, right? Exactly. And I think that is such an important point that, that today in, in, in the 2020s, many people still miss that. They think sales is about something else. It's about having the right tech or the right script or the right personality or just something other than the fact that, listen, like so many things in life, it's learnable. It takes work. It takes desire. It takes commitment. You'll hit bumps in the road. But if you do the work and, and, and do what it takes to learn the skill and go out there and practice and get better, it's something you can do. And it's a great career. And it's absolutely learnable. 
Absolutely. So what attracted you to Girls Who Sell and why did you get involved? Well, you know, you are like a force of nature, Heidi. So I, I think of you as like this big black hole of gravity that just sucks everything in. And I just, no, I'm, I'm, kidding, I'm kidding. I don't generally uh, take no for an answer. So, well, yeah, so, no, okay. Kidding. That's number one. No, I, I, it's a great question. And uh, what, what attracted me to girls who sell is that I, I could boil it down to two things. There's more, but I'll boil it down to two things. Number one is it's just ridiculous, this idea that, that sales is about gender. And it, it's what we just talked about. Sales is a learnable skill. It is a great career. I've been in sales for 30 years. And I think anyone that's been in sales for any reasonable amount of time has probably seen women who are successful and women who are not successful. Black people who are successful, black people who are not successful old white guys who are successful, old white guys. It's just not about that stuff. And so I think any movement, and, and I, I think women have really taken it in the chin collectively with respect to this bias in particular. So what attracted me to the movement was this underlying theme of, listen, it's not about that. It's about figure out who you are and figure out how to make that work for sales, if that's something that you want to do, which I just think is very empowering at a human level. And, and the second thing is just, it's what we talked about, you know, sales as a learnable skill. I think this is a message that everybody in sales needs to understand because there's still too many sales training programs, too many sales tools, too many sales initiative, too much sales content that focuses on something else. And as long as we're not focused on what really makes a difference, which is sit down, study, do the work, learn from it, get a mentor, practice, try some more, keep at it. Uh, until people recognize that's really what leads to success, I think we're all moving in the wrong direction. So, so yeah. those two things, and of course, the unstoppable you are what attracted me to the, to the Girls Who Sell initiative. Well, thank you. I know that our students are really getting a lot of value out of your mentorship. So um, I really appreciate that uh, a lot. So, the, you know, if, if, if sales is not tied to gender, why in your mind do you think that there's such a huge gender gap? You know, I, I don't know that I have a great answer for that question beyond, this isn't going to sound nice, but I, I think a lot of people, I don't want to say it, but I have to, I think a lot of people are just stupid it, it, with respect to, you know, I, I don't mean to sound like a jerk, but, but I think a lot of people just don't. Uneducated. Really how about, how about uneducated, biased at its oh, core? That's a much nicer way of saying it, but I think what it I, I think what it distills down to is people just don't think very deeply. So they kind of take what's on the surface and they'll say, well, you know, I, I, I haven't seen so many women in sales and the stereotype in my mind of a salesman is a man with these certain attributes and blah, blah, blah. And if people don't just think past that, and think through that and apply some critical thinking, this to me is a form of stupidity or ignorance or being uneducated. It's simply not thinking deeply enough about a situation, accepting that very superficial level of, okay, I thought about it for a quarter of a second. I'm checking the box and going with my, you know, my, my, my predetermined bias that came from 
you know, not thinking about it. I think that's why there's a problem. I could be wrong. I don't study this stuff. This isn't my wheelhouse, but that's my general inclination with respect to women and an awful lot of other categories of, of folks that are not really evaluated based on who they are and what they do, which especially in sales is not okay. Sales is very measurable. We should be able to just judge people based on efforts and results. That right. other stuff just shouldn't matter. Personally, that's what I love about sales is that it's somewhat black and white, right? You're either meeting your goal or you're not. It's not like um, it's not like there's a big gray area. <laughs> right. There, there, there's a lot of stuff that's not subjective. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So personally, my personality is is it's I like the measurable component of, of sales because I know if I'm successful or not, right? So talking about personality though, um, and I know you've done a lot of work in this area, what, um, you know, what we hear a lot of working with uh, college aged and even high school age young women is uh, one, they have a negative perception of what sales is. Two, they don't even know that business to business sales is a even a career option for them. For mm -hmm. them, mm -hmm. and then the third thing is they're like, "Oh, sales? Mm, no, not for me. I don't think I have the personality to be successful at it." And not, you said earlier that you don't really feel personality is a, you know, is a factor. So, could you talk to me a little bit about that? Sure. I, I think the you know, when I think about this question. I, I go back to the last place where, where I was an employee. I was the co-founder of a dot-com startup in, in California. Uh, but of course, co-founder isn't a job. So I also had a job and, and I worked in, in sales leadership. And at one time we had as many as, as uh, like 75 salespeople in our office. And some were men and some were women and some were Chinese and some were this and some were that. And, and when I think about who were the successful people and who were the unsuccessful people, you really have a whole spectrum. Uh, there was this one, one woman, won't name her name, but she was the classic Star Trek geek. I mean, she had thick glasses and, you know, she, she didn't dress in a stylish appearance and she was very shy and like, you know, people were cruel to her and, and, and that wasn't very nice. But this woman, you know what? She sat down, she did her work. Uh, I provided some coaching and training for her along with lots of other people. She showed up with great questions. She tried things. And over time, she just kept climbing the ladder and rising and rising and rising. And, and I think about another woman that worked there who was very attractive, very soft-spoken, very sweet. And she also did very well in a very different way. She just mm -hmm. found what worked for her. And I thought about a third person that worked there. And she was like one of these salespeople that was like a hummingbird. I mean, she was always moving a lot faster than everybody else. And that's how she approached it. But, you know, they all had very different personalities. And I chose three women as an example because of the nature of this, this program. But I could have done the same thing with three men or three mm -hmm. people who were this or three people who were that. It's just when you're around long enough, you see that the people who are successful, they find a way to be successful given the attributes that they have as a person. And the people who are unsuccessful generally find excuses for not getting their work done, right. irrespective of their personality. 
does personality have an impact in how somebody's going to go about doing their work? Sure, it does. But I've just been around long enough that I've seen all different variations of success. And I'm personally convinced it's just not about that. Unless yeah. you're at one of the far extremes where all bets are off, I think most any semi-normal person with any semi-normal personality, no matter where it is on any spectrum, they're probably going to do okay. Yeah, there's there's not one road to success, right? You can approach it in many different ways as long as you get to the same result, which is meeting or exceeding a goal. Yeah, and if you think about some random category, right? Think, think about singers, is there a certain kind of singer that's successful? Well, that's ridiculous, right? Because if you think of any five or six singers in a variety of genres, these are people who sing and they're successful. And the opera singer is different than the pop singer, is different than the rock singer. Is, you know, it's just not about that. Right, right. I agree. So, what is, so from your perspective, how does mindset uh, fit in? The mindset is huge. Mindset is huge. Right. Um, I think if I had to distill mindset down, I think the most important components you find are desire to be successful at sales and a commitment to do what it takes to be successful at sales. And this is not, you know, you see a lot of personality tests and they'll talk about um, certain attributes, but, but they're not in context. So you might see a personality that says, Somebody's an introvert or somebody's a this or somebody's a that. But generally speaking, these tests are not given in the context of sales. And I think it's very important that when we look at things like desire and commitment and mindset and motivation and tenacity and some of the and resilience, some of the things that are so important, it has to be in the context of sales. I, I had a guy that I work with. Again, I will not name names because it's kind of an embarrassing story, but he was man, seriously, he was one of the smartest, most successful people I ever met. He could just come in and, and analyze a problem and get right to the heart of the matter. He was a very competitive athlete. Uh, you know, he, he was always kind of trying to be cutting edge with everything. You, you almost want to call him an alpha male. But, but when he got around a woman that he was attracted to, you could tell that he was attracted to her because his voice went up about three octaves and he got really, really shy. So I only bring up this person because what's his personality? Is he shy and introverted or is he out? It depends on the context. So desire and commitment in the context of sales is very important. And your mindset in the context of sales is huge if you want to be successful. Yeah, that's interesting because, you know, it just speaks to the fact that we're complex human beings and we can't be put in boxes. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of companies today, though, are using these personality tests to make hiring decisions. Would you say stop <laughs> doing that? Or would you say, you know, are there certain tools that you think are more effective than others? Um because perhaps they're moving, they're missing out on some really good candidates. So I, I only know, I, I don't want to get into, you know, the, the whole assessment thing, because that's just a big, ugly kettle of fish. I know yeah. of one assessment that is sales specific. There are many assessments that are kind of 
they're flavored for sales. Mm -hmm. You know, the ones that people have often heard of are things like predictive index and Myers-Briggs. These are at their core personality tests and behavioral styles tests. Sometimes you see intelligence tests or skills tests, but the big ones that you see in the market are personality tests and behavioral styles tests that are not in the context of sales and selling. I think that the most productive way to think about these tools is they're going to measure what they're designed to measure. So if you're a manager, understanding somebody's behavioral style or understanding their personality or understanding how they communicate could be very effective. That could be very helpful in terms of team culture, in terms of how to manage a specific person. Mm -hmm. But a lot of companies make the leap to these instruments can dictate whether or not somebody will be successful selling. And there simply isn't any evidence that that's true. So I wouldn't say stop using these instruments. I would just say, you need to be honest about what it is they're measuring. And a lot of them put sales words into their test. But if you look closely at a lot of the tests that people use for sales, it'll say things like, we think this person will be good at hunting because they're extroverted. So what they've measured is extroversion. And as we've all seen, introversion and extroversion don't correlate to sales success. As you right. and I discussed earlier, they just reflect different ways that somebody might go about finding sales success. So the bottom line is you have to use the right tool for the right job. And most of these tools are not designed to tell you who can be successful at selling. So if somebody's using them for that, I would say stop. Yeah. Yeah, that's great advice. And so when you consult with organizations, are you consulting more on hiring strategies or sales training? Um, what's, what's your sweet spot? Yeah, that's a great question. It's evolved over the years. Um, I'm, I'm mostly known as a kind of a sales process guy. I told you about the story of when I started and yeah, I didn't wake up one day and say, gosh, I, it, it would sure be great for me if I was a process guy. I think that's just kind of how I'm wired. And what I've recognized is that sales process is something that's undervalued in most sales organizations. And it's not really thought of holistically enough. I, I tend to approach sales organizations from a consulting perspective with the idea that if we understand what the salespeople are doing in the field to be successful and we can map that out, then we can tie that to the tools you're using and have the tools really support those efforts. And because those tools are supporting those efforts, we can really get data out of them that makes sense. Because if the salespeople aren't really using the CRM, the data that comes out of it is garbage. Yep, garbage in, garbage out. Gosh, exactly. I've had that conversation probably twice this week. <laughs> right, so, so, so how do you fix that? You fix that with a deep understanding of what's really happening in the field, applying tools to that, gleaning the learning from those tools and using those learnings to help make the salespeople in the sales organization better. So what I'm doing more and more of and moving my personal consulting business more and more towards is something that I'm starting to call the sales team success formula. And it's about taking reps and what they do and tools and how they integrate and analytics that come out of that and frontline sales management and how they work with salespeople and tying that together into a cohesive system so that everybody has a chance to succeed. And when that happens, normally we start talking about other things. Should we be dividing up our territory some other way? 
should we be hiring new salespeople and how can we do that effectively? But the core is really what is that interplay between the reps, the tools they're using to engage customers and how frontline management is analyzing all of that and supporting all of that. Yeah, what I really love about what you said and this approach is that you're, it's one, it's not punitive, which I think is important, right? It's not leading with a stick or, and the other thing is that I think is really interesting about your process is that you're leading with the outcome. So many companies today, I think, are looking for technology to solve their problems, right? Like if we just, I mean, there, I just saw it. A, a graph from an organization, a sales CRM company that we're looking at right now. And they showed us a slide of the, I don't even know, 600 different companies that, you know, you can slot in to try to fix different parts of the sales process. And it was so overwhelming to me. I'm like, isn't there just one that could do this, right? But um, but what I love is that you didn't lead with, well, let's deploy all this technology and then figure out how the sales people fit into the process. It's like, let's lead with the sales process and what's going to work for the salesperson. And then deploy tools as an enablement to be sure that they're successful. So kudos to you, because I don't, I don't know that many companies are approaching that way. I think a lot of them are investing a lot of money in sales technology and just throwing shit against the wall, to be honest, hoping that it's going to improve results when they haven't really thought about it, how it is actually going to work in the context of a sales, of an actual sales process. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but do you agree? I mean, you're absolutely right. And this is not a new problem. I remember back in the day, not that long ago, but back in the day when CRM was really one of the only pieces of sales technology that people were talking about, excuse me, 10 years ago or so. And people would come up to me as a sales consultant and they would say, hey, what's the best CRM? It's a terrible question. It's like going into the hardware store and saying, hey, what's the best tool that you've got, right? It kind of depends what you're doing. And that's the question that people aren't asking. And it's it's terribly popular to lead with tools and to look at the the demo and the, the reports and the dashboards and the analytics and think, wow, it'd be so great if I could have this to, to manage and control and analyze my sales team. But if the tool doesn't match up to what the salespeople are actually doing, okay. nobody's going to use it. Garbage in, garbage out, no data. And your salespeople are going to be sitting there on the sales floor saying what salespeople always say about management, which is these guys don't have a clue what we actually do. And they're that's clueless, a huge or they're problem. micromanaging me to such a degree that this is yep. not fun, right? Yep. <laughs> like, and then they turn over. I mean, look at the turnover because you can throw a lot of tools against it, but yep. if you're not setting your salespeople up for success and they're not meeting yep. their goals, then they're going to leave. 100%. And I, I have correlated that directly back to management actually. And anyway, that go, takes us down a whole other uh, rabbit hole, but 
Um, no, but your question, your question was, you know, what am I doing in my consulting business? Right. And that's why I'm gravitating my business in that direction. Because listen, not everybody wants to do that. Not everybody wants the frontline sales manager to be really involved with salespeople. I think it's criminal. It's terrible. It's, it's unproductive. But when they do, it's not that difficult to get to a place where you can sustain growth at the team level. Yeah. But it starts with the same thing that I did at that first job in 1991. You have to start by asking the questions, what's really happening here? And right. I loved how you boiled better? it down to three things. Like, you know, <laughs> what did you say? You know, who, who do I, what, who do I want to, what am I selling? Who do yeah. I want to talk to? Why do they need what I have to sell? And how can I add value to your business? If you can figure out those, you know, three or four things, it's so simple. Not simple. You can, it's still hard, and, but it's but it, you know what execution is hard. But if if you know what what a lot of what a lot of companies do is is they think that they've answered those questions, but what they've really done is they've gotten a couple of managers around the table. And they've had that discussion and then they go and impose that on their teams. And I use that word impose very deliberately. Mm -hmm. One of the, one of the phrases that I've been using more and more often with respect to sales teams is co-creation. Your salespeople are out there getting the job done. Why wouldn't you include them in a conversation aimed at saying, what is it that we collectively are doing? And which parts are working better than others? Mm -hmm. And how can we collect all of that and shape that into a framework, not a detailed, you know, step-by-step -step robotic map, but just a framework that we can all agree on. So we're all rowing in the same direction. That's yeah. how you get a sales team and an organization to be effective. It has to start with a co-creation process that's inclusive. Because guess what? The salespeople actually do know what's happening on the front lines because they're there. And that's valuable. And that shouldn't be that shouldn't be discounted or disregarded in these processes. Yeah, I agree. Especially your top salespeople. What are they doing that is making them successful? And then how do you put a process in place to mirror that so that it's definable, repeatable across your sales organization? Or your bottom salespeople, what are they struggling with? How come exactly. they're doing things that at the surface might look like what the top salespeople are doing? but they're not getting the results, you know, finding those differences. That's a really rich, you know, some of them just aren't making the efforts. That's yeah. certainly one set of problems, but those people who are making efforts and not getting there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of good in lot of to be had there. If you look and take the time to look, and if you can figure out how to turn that around, I think you can really, really power up your sales organization. I, I agree a hundred percent. So what's in store for David Massover in 2022? Ah, I'm glad you asked. This, this sales team success formula is an idea that's evolved for me over the last couple of years. It's, it's, uh, I've been doing this work for a long time, but after reading a fantastic book called The Pumpkin Plan, which is all about kind of finding the sweet spot in your business and really focusing, uh, I decided, listen, this is the thing that I feel that I do that is unique it's valuable, I'm good at it, and it's got the potential to really make life better for a lot of people. There's a lot of suffering in B2B sales. 
Uh, reps suffer because they don't know what to, a lot of stress managers suffer, owners suffer. We all know that prospects and customers suffer because they want to stay on the internet instead of talking to us. So, you know, the sales team success formula idea is something that I'm going to be rolling out a little bit more overtly uh, in 2022. And I'm really excited about it because the beta clients and the pilot clients that I've taken through this program ha have reported back really, really solid results, not only as a team, but the individuals within the team are feeling more confident and more secure and more successful. They have their hands on the levers. They know what to do. And that's a really, really great feeling. No matter what you're doing, uh, I just happen to focus my work on B2B sales. But it's, it's, it's wonderful to see that uh, as a result of, of, of some of the work I've been doing. And that's the work that I plan to continue. Yeah, well, thank you. And I, I, um, I know that I'm going to have you continue with Girls Who Sell and, and supporting us in any way. And, and thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. And uh, I, can't, I can't wait to see what you uh, accomplish in, in 2022. Thanks, Heidi. I appreciate that. Girls Who Sell is a fantastic movement. Keep up the great work. I'm a big fan. I'm happy to help any way that I can. And thanks for having me on as a guest. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Take care, David. Bye.